The Radio Stingray Podcast is brought to you by our gold sponsor, McNally Jones Staff Lawyers. Proudly supporting the MUA Sydney branch since 1977. Need assistance with employment, industrial or workers' compensation, or any other legal problem? Phone 9233 4744 or visit mcnally.com.au and get a real fighting lawyer on your side. tuned in to Radio Stingray. Well, comrades and friends, lovers and haters, welcome to the second episode of Radio Stingray. It's a massive show. We'd fill up an extended smoke so make sure you head over to the Starboard Lounge. Or park up at the Knuckle. Or go hiding in your cabin. Find a good sneaky spot down the chain locker. Coming up on this show, we have Industrial Rounds, Workers' History, the Atsy Barbecue, First Nations Workers' Alliance, Workers' Compensation, Wimdoy and domestic violence. We also have our good mate from the CFMEU, Brian Sparkles Parker. But first, make sure you support War on the Wharves this year. The fight night on Wednesday, August 2nd, Comrade versus Comrade, raising money for the Children's Hospital. Purchase tickets from your delegate or the MUA Sydney branch. Paul, what did you think of last month's podcast, Comrade? Uh, it's been good. There's been plenty of good feedback and we've had a look. There's been a, a heap of downloads. I think it was on the top 10 in iTunes for five minutes, so... Uh, was fantastic. There's a lot of good reviews here. I just read in one great show. Enjoyed listening to some of the disputes you've been having in New South Wales. Keep up the good work. And let me flip over to the Facebook page, the uh, Paul Keating Facebook page. It's got more keto more often. It's been fantastic. Hey, Silky, turn up the Barry White bass there, will you, comrade? I want to sound like I've sucked a balloon full of helium. <laughs> well, Joe, we cut you out of the introduction of the first podcast. Comrade, what have you heard? Well, as I know this, if you want to know about podcasts and how to do it, come and see JD. <laughs> I'm here with our National Women's Liaison Officer, Michelle Myers. Michelle, welcome to Radio Stingray. Thank you. Good to have you on the podcast. You know, there's a lot going on at the moment. We just want to get a bit of an update of what's been happening with the MUA Women's Committee and some of the work you've been doing. Can you tell us some of the projects that are going on at the moment? Yeah, there's a few things going on. Um, I guess probably for the union movement itself, we've been working really, really hard on paid domestic and family violence leave. Um, the union, EMUA, has always been very supportive of that campaign, um, but that's moving to another level now since the Fair Work Commission rejected our um, our request for paid leave. Um, they did agree that unpaid leave will go into with the award system, but uh, the fight's not over and we're going to continue that one. Um, and there's a few other things going on too. Well, you've got the Wimdoy conference coming up soon. Can you first uh, tell us a bit about Wimdoy, firstly what it stands for and then what the <laughs> conference looks to achieve? It is a funny name. Uh, Wimdoy is Women in Male Dominated Occupations and Industries, which we are. You know, there's very few women in the MUA. But um, the MUA has been involved with Wimdoy right from the beginning. It's been running for 20 years. Um, and it started with uh, women from the CFMEU, the meat workers, uh, the metal workers and, um, and forestry of the CFMEU. Um, and they set up a conference that's just all about women in male-dominated industries. And it's all about, um, you know, what are the issues that, that people face when they're, they're isolated and they're one, possibly the only person and the only woman in that workplace. Uh, they get together and learn some skills, do some training and, um, and come out of it the other side with a great network of support around the country. And on an international front, you do a lot of work with the Women's Committee on the ITF. Can you tell us uh, about what's going on over there? Yeah, I'm elected to the ITF. I'm the Asia-Pacific Women's Rep. Um, and I'm doing a lot of work there um, where we're actually creating a training package for a women's advocate program. So in the 80s, uh, Unifor in Canada started the Women's Advocate Program, which is a trained person in the workplace that can assist identify somebody that's experienced family violence and help them, you know, move house, go to see lawyers, go to see doctors, but negotiate on their behalf with the employers to get them the time off that they need so that they can be safe and keep their job. Uh, so we're going to, um, we're building this, this training package so that the women in the National Women's Committee can be trained, officials of our union can be trained, delegates in the workplace can be trained, so they can be spotters for family violence and they can go and help somebody and help them in the way that they need to be helped and, and the right things to say and, and the right sort of support that they need. 
That sounds good. Well, it sounds like there's a lot going on. We will get you back on with some of the other members on the Women's Committee. Michelle Mice, thanks for joining us on Radio Stingray today. Thanks, Paul. Pleasure. At Unity Bank, we are 100% committed to maritime workers. We pride ourselves on delivering better all-round value to our members and their families. Unity Bank, proud supporter of the Maritime Union of Australia and sponsor of this podcast. Well, welcome back to Radio Stingray, comrades. We have a very special guest with us today. Brian Sparkles Parker, State Secretary of the CFMEU. Many of our members gave us some feedback last uh, podcast, Sparkles, and indicated that they want to hear from you about the ABCC and other matters. So welcome to the Sydney Branch Podcast. Comrade, how are you? Mate, I am great. I think it's a great idea. What a fantastic idea this is, you know, getting out to your members, putting it through. But it's even better when you've got a person like, you know, Paul Keating, who's got a head that only a mother can love. Good head for radio. I mean, honestly... Uh, they don't have to look at his ugly head. He's a great bloke, but let, let's be honest, you know, he's the ugliest bloke in the trade union movement. <laughs> so we, we, uh, we're we out there talking to the members and, and it's a great thing. It reminded me of something, actually. I was saying to Paul Garrett a bit earlier, I uh, remember when I was called into uh, Channel 9 Studios on the Today Show and they had us all lined up and this is one that I had to be on the Today Show. So they put us in the makeup room and on one side of me, I had big Daryl Eastlake, and on the other side of me, I had Richard Wilkins, and we're having a bit of banter with each other, and so I thought I'd be a little bit smart with both of them, and I turned around, and I said, you know the only difference between us three? I said, I don't need as much makeup as you two, and big Daryl Eastlake said, yeah, well, you must have an Eddie Mirrors at home then. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I thought that's one for the listeners anyway. Yeah, Sparkles, I've got to tell you, it deserves a response from me, mate. Uh, you've got no mirrors. I'm with big Daryl. You've got no mirrors in your joint. But on a serious note, comrade, uh, what are some of the major disputes that you've got going uh, in the state at the moment? Uh, well, we have a dispute currently with the Big B. Um, you could call them bastards, but they're named Borrell. Um, currently what uh, Borrell have done is um, attempted to make the blokes, uh, the workers that are working for Borrell, endorse one of their agreements that's going to uh, do away with a number of fundamental rights to the workers and wages and conditions. Uh, and the fact is, is that 120 of these workers actually uh, turned around and voted down the agreement. So the f- we, we had a victory there. It's in the court. There's some things I can't say about it, but what I can say is that what they did do is threaten 110 of them with their jobs. Um, so um, at this point, um, the court case is going extremely well for us, but that's probably the biggest dispute at this point in time, the whole of the industry is just looking at this and waiting and seeing where Borrell end up with this. We're quietly confident in this one, and we're certainly confident in the fact that we've got the hearts and minds of the workers on our side. Sparkles, it's great to have you here. I've been talking with you about Borrell and Rita Marley, another great friend of us all, and I'm just thinking back in the amount of picket lines and protests and everything we've stood on over the last 20 years being fellow travellers. But there's one, you mentioned the ABCC before, one that gets me. They're paid millions upon millions of dollars, um, looked after by that rotten Senator Michaela Cash. But one of the biggest challenges that the ABCC had to face against the CFMEU in the last few years is you guys putting flags on the site. Question I want to ask you, is this a serious use of taxpayers' money? Can they be serious if that's what they're actually there to prosecute, the use of CFMEU flags? Is that what we're at these days with the CFMEU? Well, you're right. That's exactly what they want to do. They want to stop us from putting... Flags on cranes, I mean, you've got to be, it's absolutely ridiculous. Stickers on hats, um, you know, these are some of the issues that are written into legislation. Um, you know, we're now putting up uh, on flags on cranes being the Eureka flag. Well, now they say that's a union flag. Well, the last time I seen, it was part of Australia's history. Uh, you know, it was the, it was the first uh, dispute that took place uh, in Australia's history and something that we we all know about and uh, we all learn about in the trade union movement, but the fact is, is that, come on now, it's a Eureka stockade flag. I want to ask you a question, you know, your members out there, they need to know what's going on in the maritime industry and vice versa. I know this, and there's a lot of maritime workers don't know this, that the ABCC affects maritime workers as well on construction, uh, construction sites out there in the, the spread, you know, in the offshore how does your members feel about this position of our members, our both sets of members joining together and fighting the common fight, comrade? Well, that's exactly right, Joe. You're absolutely right. A lot of people don't know that, that it does affect maritime members as well. 
um, in a number of in a number of ways. And the fact is, is that I suppose that brings the fact that we are merging together as one super union, and we are going to be a super union. There's no doubt of it. And I think the fact that we can take, uh, you know, workers from the maritime industry, um, we can have wharfies as seamen as well as construction and building workers standing side by side. This is going to be uh, one of the one of the greatest mergers um, that will be written in, in trade union history. So you're absolutely right, Joe. It does affect them significantly and they're going to be put under scrutiny. Um, and the fact is, is that Michaelia Cash is busy trying to draft up some form of legislation to try and stop this merger, but we're confident that we'll get over the top of it. And um, we're taking up this issue with our members. It's the MUA members that vote on this issue, but um, our members uh, want to have a say in the matter as well, and it's getting a great response just like it is with the MUA. All right, comrade, uh, thanks very much for those contributions. Just going back to the opening remarks about poor old Keto, I've often heard you described as the Daryl Brayman of the New South Wales Trade Union Movement. Mm. I'd like to get a response about that. Mm. Um, but with the union's New South Wales Combined Delegates meeting come up, up tomorrow, I think it's a wonderful um, opportunity for our two unions to be out there on the front foot, fighting from the front. We're described as the, the two most militant unions in this country. And the CFMEU and the MUA in New South Wales continue to demonstrate that we are proud of our militancy, proud of our willingness to take on governments, to take on employers and to take on anyone who stands before us and seeks to take away or diminish our rights. So tomorrow is another example and opportunity for us to get out there and speak to the rest of the trade union movement in this state about what's important and about how we can overcome these challenges. How do you see tomorrow's uh, union's New South Wales Combined Delegates meeting going, comrade? I think it's going to go real, real well, Macca, and uh, the fact of the matter is that we've got a number of great speakers. We've got Sally McManus, we've got uh, uh, the opposition uh, spokesman for industrial relations, uh, Brendan O'Connor, and we've got you too, Macca, I've got to put you in that line. So um, we're, I'm very confident the combined delegates meeting of all the construction unions is going to go very, very well, and uh, this is one thing that we've, we've been able to manage to put together um, over the last few years, and we can we can get them together at least uh, on a on a four monthly basis, and it's and it's very good because that's what they want. You would have seen that that uh, our strength is growing and growing. Just uh, just a month ago, we had that big rally that we had, and there was probably an excess of over fifteen thousand people there. Um, I tend to think that um, you know we're growing with strength, and no doubt that uh, that uh, the combined unions, along with the merger with the MUA, is sending a clear single right across uh, the trade union movement and especially out there to employers that uh, we're going to fight and we're going to keep up these fights about attacking wages and conditions for workers. Well, Sparkles, it's, there's no doubt in my mind or in our minds uh, that the CFMEU is fighting from the front, is leading us out into the streets. We uh, canvassed the CFMEU rally on our last podcast and it was uh, enormously uh, well-received. And I think members are encouraged by the leadership of the CFMEU in taking their members out, not only of the workplace, but into the streets where workers belong so that we can fight, uh, stand up and fight back, which is what we do best. Thanks so much for you coming in today, Sparkles, and we look forward to you being on future podcasts. I look forward to it too, mate, as long as I don't make any more remarks about Kudo. Thank you very much. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Today we've got Dave Trainer from McNally's Law Firm talking to us about workers' comp and issues relating to uh, workers. G'day, Dave. G'day, Paul. How are you? Uh, good, mate. Um, first, Dave, can we uh, go straight into it? Uh, can you tell us about the issues with relation to the New South Wales uh, Workers' Comp Act and the adverse reforms? Uh, yes, Paul. In 2012, there was a ma major um, set of reforms, uh, so-called, introduced into the workers' compensation laws. They weren't really reforms, but really um, uh, attempts um, to wind the clock back in relation to workers' entitlements. Um, there were major changes in relation to putting um, caps on weekly payments, caps on entitlement to medical expenses, and uh, denying access uh, for injured workers to go to the... Um, Workers' Compensation Commission to have certain of those disputes resolved. Perhaps the um, the most significant change was the introduction of a five-year cap on weekly payments for nearly every worker in the state who's injured. 
except for those who uh, qualify um, uh, as having an impairment of more than 21%, which is a, a really, really significant level of impairment. Um, any workers other than those are, are liable to have their weekly compensation payments cut off after five years and thrown onto the uh, social security um, system. And that's a very, very significant retrograde step. Uh, another example of one of the um, major changes which was made was the introduction of caps on entitlement to medical expenses. In, the, in, in most cases, the entitlement to uh, ongoing medical and rehabilitation costs will end after two years from the date that the weekly compensation payments cease. So that if a worker goes back to work, say, in um, the 1st of January 2018, but has an ongoing need for medical attention or um, rehabilitation, after um, 1st of January 2020, he no longer has that entitlement. Mate, in regards to the, uh, the insurance industry, what's your view in regards to the state of play and how they've played a part in undermining workers and their rights in relation to workers' comp? Well, the insurers, they're not really insurers as such. Um, they're, they're, they're really just claims handlers and they have a contract with WorkCover and um, they administer um, claims and they get paid a fee. And the more they administer the claim, the bigger the fee. The big changes on the horizon in relation to uh, these arrangements is that as from next year, the number of um, claims handlers or insurers uh, that will be left in the scheme will be reduced to one, Employers Mutual Limited. WorkCover has the intention of uh, attempting to micromanage every single workers' compensation claim in the state. And I think that's a retrograde step because you've got the, um, the body which is uh, paying the money um, deciding uh, on a micromanaged level the outcome of all of these claims. In regards to these retrograde um, uh, laws, how have you found the, uh, the approach by the employers in regards to workers and those stories that you are dealing with in relation to uh, the workers and their rights under this um, retrograde act? Well, the, the, the scheme now is so complicated. It, it's gone from a relatively simple system when I first started doing this work a long time ago to uh, a piece of legislation which is just immense. And the more lawyers and parliamentarians get to complicate things, um, the more difficult it becomes for workers to navigate their way through uh, the intricacies of the scheme. Yeah, Dave, it's Joe Deacon here and welcome to Radio Stingray. Really Thanks, good Joe. Good to have you, mate. Good mate of mine from way back. Workers, he's supported workers all his life, this bloke. Look, Dave, there's a simple one for workers out there, particularly our maritime workers in this case. You know, we had a lot of people on the job are terrified. They're terrified to even think about going on compo because they're worried about the retribution from the boss. What do you say about that, mate? What do we tell these workers? Well, what I think is important to stress is that people shouldn't be disheartened uh, they're citizens and they have the right to pursue what their legal entitlements are under the law. Uh, there is a way through all of this and I'd encourage um, any worker, whether he's a maritime worker or whatever area, that he should really think about going to his union as the first port of call and being directed to an appropriate lawyer rather than just um, ringing um, the people who advertise on the TV and uh, in the newspapers, because uh, in my experience, whichever union you, you're dealing with, uh, usually they have pretty good relationships with their panel lawyers, and they are, they are there, I know the maritime union is, they are there watching over the lawyer's shoulder every step of the way. Dave, uh, look, thanks for coming in today. Dave's worked in the industry since 1972 for McNally's law firm, the major sponsor for Radio Stingray. Thanks very much for coming in today, Dave. Thanks, thanks very much, Paul. Radio Stingray podcast brought to you by McNally Jones Staff Lawyers, assisting MUA members and their families for 40 years. Phone 9233 4744 or visit mcnally.com.au and get McNally's on your side.
It's Marla from the MUA Sydney branch and I'm here with the one and only Lara Watson. Lara's the Indigenous Officer at the ACTU. She has a strong history of working closely with our union. Welcome to Radio Stingray. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. So the ACTU's just launched the First Nation Workers' Alliance to fight for wage justice and to help in the Community Development Programme. Please tell us about the First Nation Workers' Alliance and the Community Development Programme. The First Nation Workers' Alliance came about, we had community development program participants raise concerns around not only the type of work they were doing, um, but that they were working without actually getting a wage and without the basic employment conditions. And at the same time, the ACTU Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Committee was raising concerns around the program which had come up through the ranks of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Union members. So it kind of all come together and we were looking at a way that unions could represent community development program participants because they don't or they're not considered workers in a legislation perspective, there wasn't one particular union that could come in and take coverage. So they're working in a lot of different industries and because they weren't considered workers, the formation of the First Nation Workers Alliance gave them the capability of having a voice and to be active and represented as if being a member of a traditional union. So First Nations Workers Alliance was solely formed to represent community development program participants. Uh, but it's gone gangbusters. Um, we've had a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander union members put their hand up and join as well as participate on the ground and be active around the CDP campaign. Uh, we've also had Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers actually joined their union on the sole reason they want to join the First Nation Workers Alliance. Because as a worker, you have to be a union member first to be a member of the First Nation Workers Alliance. And you mentioned that participants on the Community Development Program aren't actually covered under the Fair Work Commission and they don't receive a wage. Please tell us more about the working conditions of CDP workers. So prior to um, the Community Development Program, there were other programs in place. So under ALP, it actually included an employment element. So people who were working on this program received a minimum wage. Under Turnbull's Community Development Program, he's taken out the employment component. So what you have are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers participating in this program for a welfare payment, not a wage. They don't have entitlements that we have in our everyday work. They're not covered by the federal occupational health and safety protections. They don't have access to workers' compensation if they're injured on the job. And they're not, they don't have access to annual leave, sick leave and carers leave. So under Turnbull's Community Development Program, poverty is actually worsening in some communities and there's been a creation of a free labour pool? Definitely. So once upon a time, the program was really about development of skills, uh, training in and around that would lead to employment opportunities, particularly in remote communities where that's scarce and all for that minimum wage they received. Now, um, previously it wasn't open to private, to the private sector and now it is available to the private sector. So where we've got companies coming in on a profit basis, they now have access to a group of workers that aren't actually receiving a wage. And a lot of these workers have actually been fined, haven't they, for missing work or not participating in certain um, activities? Uh, so under the Community Development Program, 
someone is 70 times more likely to be penalised for not participating in the CDP program as opposed to a city-based Work for the Doll program. What we're finding is we have got people that might have had a death in the family and are undertaking sorry business are losing an income for up to eight weeks. That's absolutely no income coming in whatsoever. So they don't even have the security net of that very, very basic new start allowance because the community development program, that's what they're getting paid. So if they're not participating, they're not getting that allowance. And we've got some really hard to swallow situations in these communities of whole families starving. It's just an absolute appalling situation that the Australian government has put on remote communities who are in vulnerable situations around employment. And how can we all get involved and support the work of the First Nation Workers Alliance? Oh, there is plenty people can do to get involved. So it really does depend on one's time and ability. Firstly, we would ask people to jump onto the First Nation Workers Alliance website and to become a member or a supporter of the First Nation Workers Alliance. You know, contact myself at the ACTU if you've got a bit more time. Uh, We certainly have a lot of events and activities happening around the country, raising awareness around the issue, but we're also resourcing and skilling CDP participants to be able to campaign themselves. And there'll be a launch in Sydney for the First Nation Workers Alliance on the 23rd of August? That's correct. So we're just finalising our speakers, um, but the date's been set and it's been put into the calendar. We're pretty excited to get down to Sydney and have a good conversation around the Community Development Program and the First Nation Workers Alliance. Well, I'm sure there's many MUA members that would like to say hello to you at the launch and we should get you back on the show in a couple of months so you can give us an update. Thank you and I appreciate it and I would like to say a huge thank you to MUA and the MUA members. Uh, I've just been absolutely gobsmacked at the participation rate and MUA has just grabbed First Nation Workers Alliance and ran with it and we it's much appreciated. Thank you so much for your time, Lara. We really appreciate it. Bye. This segment is brought to you by RT Health, your industry mutual not-for-profit health fund that has been looking after members like you since 1889. Call us on 1300 564646 to find out how you can join the crew and benefit from the exclusive MUA health plan. Well, welcome back to Radio Stingray. Our next section is Industrial Rounds. Joe, tell us about the EAs you've been up to, mate. Well, we've just completed the RMS, that's the Roads and Maritime Agreement. This agreement will be signed off in the next week or so, or next couple of weeks at least. The uh, this agreement gives workers a bit of dignity around the place. In a you know an environment where it's you know workers are staring down the barrel, where the unions manage to get a really good deal for these blokes, and we're pretty proud of it. Inco bunker barges, the reliance and the allegiance. We're just about again. We're ready to sign off on the EBA with this uh, company with these two bunker barges, as well as achieving an additional tanker on the coast. Well, we're really happy about that, considering the state of play with shipping. Uh, you know, not started out not so good with the CSL Fevenard with uh, CSL. You know, they unceremoniously told the crew in dry dock in China, "Pack your bags. You're no longer on the ship. You're finished." But it never stopped there, comrades. It never stopped there because the National Secretary and the Assistant National Secretary, Warren Smith and Paddy Crumlin, went to Montreal and spoke to CSL, the hierarchy over there, and said to them, as far as we're concerned, that we're not going to cop another couple of ships going without a fight. You just keep doing this to us time and time again. We've gone from 11 ships down to three and we've had enough of it. Now, with the help of our comrades from the SIU, the Siemens International, and the ITF, you never forget the ITF because our National Secretary is the President, 
played a magnificent part in staring down the employer over there where we've got a position now where these displaced workers in the Fevenard, the CSL Fevenard, will man the Donnacona, will man the Wyala, will man the uh, FOTB bards in Wyala. These are significant things, you know. When people, you know, we're staring down the barrel, we're getting we're getting shafted left, right and centre, all of a sudden the unions, with the help of its international comrades, are able to bounce back. Thanks for that, Joe. Over to you, PG. What about your areas, comrade? Well, we're just getting ready to start a few enterprise agreements. I think the next week marks the 12-month anniversary of uh, the EAs expiring. We need to get in. Sydney Ferries is probably the first one that expires uh, next year. That'll be another big campaign and we'll be... Just going through the process now of electing delegates. There'll be a survey going out to members shortly to see what they need and certainly go and get that EBA up and running. The big one uh, coming up shortly, though, is the Trident LNG EBA for the four gas buggies that operate between Caratha and Japan. We look after them here in the branch. The sandling, the sandpiper, the snipe and the storm petrol. Um, a very important EBA. Uh, big ships look after a lot of seafarers, deliver the uh, a lot of LNG to Japan, and that's been done seamlessly by MUA and SUA Labor since 1989. So we're just just about to gear up and start those negotiations in the next few weeks. Thanks for that, comrade. And Keto, you got some tough ones there, mate. Give us an update. Yeah, no worries, Mecca. Uh, we've just uh, voted unanimously our membership, the last agreement on the waterfront. Uh, been two years in the making, cube workers down at the passenger boats in uh, Sydney Harbour. Um, this agreement removes casuals in the industry here in Sydney. Uh, First time uh, for the passenger boats, that's for sure. And it's a good outcome with uh, really good uh, structures in this agreement. A uh, establishment numbers, that being nine permanents, seven GWs, no casuals, good outcome all round. Uh, Two others that we're uh, in the process of uh, starting the Kalmar workers, maintenance workers down at Patrick's, we had the four-hour stoppy last week and the membership have endorsed a log of claims going into that agreement. We meet with the employer next week with our delegates. Big part of that is around rosters and, uh, and the scope of work and we'll be fighting for everything there. Uh, I suppose the other one that has been uh, we've been struggling through and fighting for is an enterprise agreement for the cube truck drivers in the rail operations and Patrick's. Uh, there's some legal um, arguments that are being had, but the workers are resolute uh, and they've got organised. They've, all, uh, they've voted for uh, four delegates and we, uh, we're starting that process for that enterprise agreement. So I'll keep you updated on, on those enterprise agreements as they come through. Thanks for that, Keto. And just to wrap it all up, I suppose I'd like to uh, outline we've, we're in a number of negotiations in the logistics areas, both at Cube and DPW, DP World, led by an infamous old treacherous liar that most wharfies out there would know if they've ever worked for DP World. Uh, he's basically throwing a massive spanner in the works like he usually does, but he's going to come unstuck. He'll come undone, and I'm sure that the uh, membership out there in the Sydney branch will give this bloke the welcome to our industry that he thoroughly deserves. And over there in Cube Logistics, we've had a number of meetings now. We're moving towards an outcome that's going to take some time, but it's very important for members out there and the activists and the community that supported us that we are negotiating an enterprise agreement with Cube Logistics and we will get an outcome come hell or high water. Comrades, we're going to move now into a few of the disputes that we've been dealing with over the last month. Uh, Joe, what's some of the um, disputes you've been involved in, comrade? Well, this started off as the uh, like the P with the Port Authority in New South Wales started off as a routine, you know, EBA discussion point. Six months of negotiating. The main thrust of our uh, claims were around the fire tugs, the emergency response. What the Port Authority have determined to do is just cut us right out of it. They're going to compromise the safety of the, the water uh, public of, uh, New South, of Sydney by allowing a fire tug, a single fire tug, to take the place of two. This is also part of an EBA claim by us to say that this is our work, we're entitled to work in this area and we're not going to see it go. 
Now, the Port Authority have dug their toes in and said they wouldn't. We asked them to sign a memorandum of understanding or an agreement, a deed of agreement, to simply say that they will keep the fire tugs in operation and they will keep the manning levels on the two fire tugs as is. They refused to do that. So the workers have said they've had enough and they're going to take protected action. That action has been rolled out as I speak and we can't wait and the workers can't wait to give it to Port Authority because they've been giving it to us plenty. Well, that's one of the wonderful things that we do when we come together, when we fight together um, and protected action ballots are always uh, a wonderful introduction to what will come next. So I'm looking forward to seeing an outcome there, Joe. PG, what dispute have you got for us this month, comrade? I suppose every work site that we deal with has the same dispute these days. It's all about the C word, and that's consultation. Um, every employer at the moment puts it in enterprise agreements and then utterly ignores it once those EAs are signed. With Joe, we've been arguing in tugboat land. There's certainly there's been an argument on the fire tugs as well as the commercial tugs that provide shipping. Uh, the blokes who work at Switzer down there have been in a situation where the companies look to introduce captivity, something that we've uh, discussed with the membership and worked through. But it was on the basis that there'd be a proper licensing regime with the Port Authority to give those workers protection against competition. Now, the Harbour Master, someone who uh, was supposed to be uh, having a discussion with the unions and working in with them, has proven himself once again, certainly not talking uh, to the workers, putting in place new regimes and trying to dictate how the tugs will work and certainly opening the gate for competition to come in and undercut the towage industry, which means a race to the bottom in wages. So we're working through that at the moment. Um, like usual, the matter's been thrown through the Fair Work Commission and we have to deal with the joys of that place and the glacial speed that any of those matters are dealt with. But that's one, been one of the large campaigns. But a shout-out's got to go to all the members that work on the tugs down there who've said very clearly that we're prepared to work in with the company and we're, propri- we're prepared to provide quality service. But one thing we're not prepared to do is take the jobs of fellow comrades who work on the fire tugs. So well done, everyone. And well done, PG, yesterday. That was a great stop work meeting that we had down at Spitzer Tugs. And um, just to reiterate, there's a number of C words that I've sat across the table from in a few negotiations as well. Keto, um, what's some of your disputes, comrade? Yeah, look, I've got to uh, agree with uh, PG on this. You know, these companies' failure to consult is always the ongoing uh, fights that we we face every day. And our delegates and the rank and file stepping up and taking that on with the assistance of the branch. Um, What's come about just recently is uh, for the Osport linesmen uh, down in, um, you know, Port Botany. Uh, Vessels come in down at the BLB, Bulk Liquids Berth, uh, and, and, you know, some smart-ass, you know, shipping agents come down onto the job uh, saying you're not going to do the job with two boats but one. This is a vessel that's 183 metres long. There are standards in this industry, standards that our union, this branch, will defend and defend and fight any employer that thinks that they're going to reduce what we've fought hard over many generations. So, comrades... That's a big one, really. It, uh, it's a company, ship, shipping company, that thinks it's going to come into this port undermining these standards. It won't happen. And comrades, while we're talking about punching the shit out of things, just remember that this upcoming Wednesday, the 2nd of August, we have War on the Wharves number four. You can purchase tickets through the branch, and it's on at South Juniors. It's a fantastic event. We'll all be there, and we look forward to seeing you. All right, where was I? I got a bit excited there, talking about fighting and whatnot. Uh, Comrade Keto, got a campaign that you want to update the membership on? Uh, yeah, sure thing, mate. Uh, TGS Security, down at Patrick's, those workers got organised. And as you uh, many know in the branch, uh, the negotiations for an enterprise agreement have been going on for about seven months. Um, unfortunately, I got a call from the company last week to, uh, to say that Patrick's had contacted them to uh, uh, say that their contract will not be renewed and a new uh, contractor for the security down at Port Botany, Patrick's, uh, in, in October will uh, take over. This is a big campaign. Last week was a great meeting down at Patrick's over a Labor of you, as you know, Macca, uh, and a very strong position from the floor came out of that. One of those was a resolution supporting the security workers in their struggle 
and demanding from the company, Patrick's, to uh, endeavour to make sure that all those workers are trans- transferred over to the new operator. Uh, this is a campaign, comrades, that we need everyone on board, but the resolution was very strong and very direct, and um, uh, we'll keep you updated uh, th- through the next month. Thanks for that, Keto and PG. What was your campaign during the month, comrade? Uh, well, we're continuing the work with the uh, fast ferries to try and get them signed up. And when we were on uh, Radio Stingray last month, we put out a message, if you can see water, join the MUA. Well, obviously, there's a few people have heard that, and we've been processing quite a few membership forms with people want to get involved. Now, we've had some setbacks with the Manly Fast Ferry document. Uh, those swine managers uh, certainly recruited a whole host of new employers and got the EBA up by one vote. We're going to deal with that in the Fair Work Commission. That'll get knocked for six for the shonky agreement that it is. Um, and some of our solicitors are working on that at the moment and can't believe the content of it. But with that, there's been some other ferry services, and just by chance this morning, Macca, we've had phone calls from another operator or someone on, acting on behalf of another operator wanting to have an urgent meeting with the MUA to sit down and start to negotiate an MUA agreement for other ferry operators. So whilst we have some setbacks which we'll get over the top of, certainly others are realising that there's a way to do things on Sydney Harbour, and that's work with the MUA and get an outcome. So clearly we're getting some penetration, clearly we're moving through, and we'll sign up more members and we'll organise that yarding, turn it in the proper union workplace it should be. Beautiful. Everyone's looking forward to that. And just to round that out, there's been a number of meetings throughout the month on the waterfront, particularly down there at Patrick's. We had a massive stop work meeting, excellently attended, where we discussed and debated the uh, outcomes of the labour review down there and to the to the great pride of the branch and to, to every veteran of this union throughout our history, those workers unanimously supported the position of not allowing Patrick's to reintroduce supplementary employees onto the docks and um, they are absolutely prepared to take this com- company on and ensure that we have permanent rostered salary jobs on the waterfront, which we won in the last enterprise agreement, continuing well into the future. And that segues well into the DP World Labor Review, where we're also targeting DP World and getting them to understand that we're not going to cop irregular forms of employment and where the rosters can be justifiably uh, increased, then the companies must increase permanence on those rosters. And that's what we're telling DP World. And I know that in the next month, that will be a, uh, an area that we devote some attention to. Protect, Australia's leading severance and income protection fund for maritime workers. For a site visit or further information on how to get Protect in your enterprise agreement, contact Craig Johnson on 0400 671 274. G'day, guys. Um Good catching up with you. I'm here with uh, two comrades of ours from the Sydney Branch ATSI Committee. G'day, Tony. G'day. How are you? Yeah, I'm Tony Cook from... I'm La Perouse, man, physical person from the south coast of uh, New South Wales and as well as Sydney region. Yeah, um, I'm a uh, chairman of the ATSI Committee of the MUA Sydney Branch. Uh, we just had a turnout here at uh, Yarra Bay House on La Perouse grounds. Uh, yeah, just... Hello to everyone. Uh, yeah, my name is Zach Warren. I'm Cubby Cubby Man from South East Queensland and I'm the uh, Secretary of the MUA uh, Sydney Branch ATSI Committee. Uh, and uh, yeah, also yeah, down here at the, the barbecue and um, yeah, it's a beautiful day today down in La Perouse. Yeah, look, it's, it's a great initiative. Uh, so do you want to explain guys to the viewers out there where we are? We're, we are in uh, La Perouse, uh, Durrell land, Abidjigal land. Uh, it's out southeast of uh, Sydney, uh, just across the bay, in Botany Bay, across the bay from Colonel, where Captain Cook came and took our land. Uh, yeah, we, we had a, um, a barbecue for all members that come down, uh, enjoy the day. Lovely sunshine day in La Perouse, God's country. So, yeah. Um, this was uh, organised by myself and Zach for the um, for all members to turn up and catch up together. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, we really um, wanted to yeah take our committee out of the, the meeting rooms and you know out in the community and really reach out and um, yeah start really uh, build stronger links with the community between the, the community of the union. Um, so yeah, we want to make this a regular event. It's a great initiative, I've got to say, comrades. Um, 
the, uh, the members that have come down uh, have really enjoyed the day and it's still going out there. I see that a few more sausages are being put on there and the local workers that have come down, they're having a mag with um, uh, some of the members there. It's great. Tremendous initiative and uh, look forward to more of these. So Tony, Zach, uh, a few things going on, but firstly, uh, this beautiful spot that we're in, Tony, do you want to give the viewers yeah, the, a bit of a the a, a, um, The place we were at, they've got a um, park named after Chicka Dixon, who's a um, activist, Wharfie, with, uh, down at um, uh, DP World. Uh, <clears throat> I forget what they used to be called back then, but yeah, he's a um, very, very great activist. Uh, he's from the La Perouse area. It, uh, from down the south coast as well, so he's a great, great man. When he had a state funeral for him, that's how highly regarded he was. He's one of the best people that you'd ever come across. You're right there, mate. Um, a legend of the waterfront, a great leader in our industry, um, as well as that wonderful uh, history of his leadership within the community and um, the causes. So tell me about the committee um, and what what work and campaigns that you, you, you're organising? What, uh, we've, we've only just reformed this committee in the last uh, 12 months. Is we've been having a couple of meetings. Um, usually go uh, catch up with our um, national committee as well. Uh, we haven't had one for a while, but um, yeah, we're looking to re-establish that as well amongst the Aboriginal workers we've got here in Sydney Base. Um, just like trying to get them together here today, that's why we're down here at La Perouse. It's hard to get into the city at times, so yeah, I think the next one we'll have maybe in around Redfern area, a few people from there, so. Zach, recently you've just come back from a conference with some of the comrades. Do you want to um, give us a rundown on how that went, mate? Yeah, well, uh, in the last week of uh, June, we... Uh Myself and my comrade, uh, also from the committee, uh, Kevin Bones Kelly, we went over to Alice Springs, um, supported by the MUA, uh, for the 10-year uh, uh, anniversary of the intervention, the Northern Territory Intervention uh, Conference. And uh, yeah, it was just a really powerful um, space to be in. Um, we, there, were, there were sessions on housing, education, justice, uh, the last session on treaty, um, and just, yeah, some really great grassroots um, speakers, uh, yeah, it, was, it really gave us a lot to think about, and it all ended up um, with a with a rally um, down the main street of Alice Springs uh, with Dylan Voller, um, who uh, many of you would know um, from that terrible story about Dondale, and he's he's really become a great young leader as well in his community, which was really inspiring to see. So, um, yeah, it was really proud to be a part of that that whole event. Tremendous. Yeah. Um, uh, and I believe Dylan will be in Sydney soon. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, he'll be uh, he'll be in um, Sydney in the first week of August. Yeah. Well, we'll sure be um, uh, great to catch up with him, mm. and certainly even look at bringing him down onto the jobs. Mm. Yeah, great contribution from uh, Zach and Tony, uh, comrades. Just to give you an update also around what's happening in the branch, we've had the delegate training. It's ongoing. Uh, this month we've had a uh, level one training course next month again and uh, please contact the branch uh, if you want to put your name down so that we can get you down there these are very important components of organizing being organized yourself and w as you know uh, the more organized we are the more power we have in the union absolutely and uh, one thing when it comes to campaigns delegates training getting the message out over the next month, the branch is updating the contact list. It's important that we have your email, your mobile and your address so we can send information out. Please give the branch a call, 92658444, or if the staff or someone gives you a call to update the details, work with them. Let's get them in so we can make sure we get the message out. And next time there's a rally, you'll get the message and we'll see you there. Maritime Employees Training Limited is an independent, not-for-profit industry training body. Governed by the representatives from the MUA, Maritime Employees and the Training Sector Experts Metal's goal is to develop the most skillful, safe and efficient maritime workforce globally. Hello all, it's Marla from Radio Stingray and we love workers' history here so we've got Linda Carathas speaking to us about the Great Strike of 1917. Hi Linda, how are you going? Hi Marla, I'm going great. So it's the 100th anniversary of the Great Strike of 1917. Can you tell us what happened? Yep. 
1917 was a big year for workers everywhere and particularly for workers in Australia. Um, in February 1917, as people would know, the first provisional government um, was formed um, as part of the Russian Revolution. Uh, in the end of 1916, there was the first conscription referendum. And in July, the end of July 1917, uh, the railway commissioners decided that they would introduce into the railway and tramway workshops at Everly and Randwick a time card recording system, which was a system designed by a man called Taylor from the US, and it was designed to record every minute piece of work people did, how long they took to do it, um, um, what the quality of it was, and basically it was designed to wrest control from the work of the work process away from the workers in the workshops and give it over to a whole bunch of foremen who were hired just to stand over them and check it. So you mentioned the railways. Can you tell us about some of the other workers and the other unions that were involved in this dispute? Yep. Well, so on the day it was introduced, which was the 2nd of August, the um, about 5,000 workers from the uh, Randwick uh, and Everly workshops walked out. From that, over the next few days, all the workers from the railways worked out, covering unions, um, people in unions like the boilermakers, the coachmakers, the firemen um, and engine drivers, the cleaners, virtually every trade, every group working in the railways over the next week um, um, left work. They just, they just walked out. So what was a dispute really about the cards, because of the situation people were in, turned in, um, in within the first week into a massive all tools down in the railways. It needs to be remembered that although the time cards were the initial thing that broke the camel's back, uh, was the thing that broke the camel's back, it was a, a real attempt to wrest control from workers, um, that there had been a wage freeze in the railways and generally since late um, 1914. So there had been a wage freeze for workers, prices were going up, there was inflation, um, and there ha they, a lot of men had enlisted from the railways in the war, about 4,000 men, and they hadn't been replaced. So there was high, longer work hours, intensifying work, lower wages and higher prices, and with the introduction of the cards, it was just the last straw. So what was the aft aftermath of this strike? Well, um, after the first week, the strike spread to involve thousands and thousands of workers and many, many unions, um, not just in New South Wales, but in Victoria and Queensland. Um, maritime workers, wharf labourers, seamen, um, storemen and packers, manufacturing workers, uh, all because they refused to handle black goods because um, the railways um, import put, uh, put replacement labour in the railway workshops. Because rail transport was so and sea transport was so fundamental in those days to getting goods um, and particular munitions all over the place. Um, workers in those industries down tools and wouldn't handle the goods that were black, that were, that were put on and trains and boats by replacement workers. So um, the, by um, about the end of August, there was nearly 100,000 workers in New South Wales on strike. It was over a third of the union membership, 14% of the total workforce, plus many thousands in Victoria, particularly in maritime and the mining industries and in Queensland. The mining industry also was very prominent in the strike and miners were also replaced uh, by um, scab workers. And so any coal, of course, that was dug out of the mines was declared black and that affected many, many industries, including the gas industry and so on. So workers really across virtually every industry Land, sea, transport, power, manufacturing were affected by the strike. So you mentioned maritime and mat mining industries, but I also know there were a lot of female workers involved in this strike. Indeed. Can you tell us a bit about that, please? Well, in the railways, um, the, the women um, in the railway refreshment rooms were directed to um, serve replacement workers or scabs, and they absolutely refused. They were directed, they put on their hats and coats, and they just walked out. Um, there were women involved in many industries um, that um, refused to handle goods or do any work um, that arose from scab labour. So there were plenty of women involved in the um, strike, also women from the community and women from the families that were affected. There was a big um, delegation of women uh, at the end of the first week on the 9th of August who went to Parliament House 
to meet with, um, try and seek a meeting with the Premier because um, the government refused any sustenance or aid to families who were affected by the strike and there were, in fact, people already going hungry and starving because there was no money coming in. And I know there's a great exhibition on at the moment at Carriage Works and Unions New South Wales also had a musical night to mark this big strike. Can you tell us a bit about that, please? So the exhibition at Carriage Works um, was put together by Carriage Works um, historians from Sydney City and lot, most of the, well, the union banners there were, were le- loaned by, um, Trades Hall, um, New South Wales Trades Hall. That is, that exhibition at Carriage Works tells the story of the strike and actually has, um, huge amount of material, not just banners, but the tools, um, um, union badges, uh, and extracts from newspaper articles at the time. There's also a very interesting diagram there. Um, that was drawn up by the railway commissioners after the strike, showing how they were going to demote um, all the um, people who returned, had to return to work at the end of the strike um, because people lost seniority, they lost superannuation and hundreds and hundreds of men were sacked and their cards marked never to be re-employed. And some of those um, people involved who were treated that way included Ben Chifley and Eddie Ward. Um, there were scores of um, future ALP parliamentarians and leaders, including um, uh, J- Joseph Carl, uh, Premier of New South Wales, who were actually involved in the workshops and whose experience during the strike um, pushed them to um, get involved politically. And how do you think the Great Strike of 1917 is relevant to workers today? Well, I think we face similar situations to the work today that, that workers in 1917 um, faced. We have rising prices stagnant wages, and we also have very repressive governments, anti-trade union governments at state and federal level. We also have attacks on trade unions, um, not just the Royal Commission of Trade Unions, but the ABCC uh, and a Fair Work Act that simply isn't working for workers. So I think, in fact, the situation we find ourselves in 100 years later um, bears many similarities to the situation in 1917. Thanks for your time today, Linda. Pleasure, Marla. Thank you very much. Well, that wraps up our second Radio Stingray podcast. I'd like to give a massive shout-out and a thank you to all of our special guests who you've heard throughout the show. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review. And despite what everyone thinks, we actually do love your feedback and we'd love for you to leave a comment on our MUA Sydney Facebook page. And as we always say, if you can see water... Join the MUA. And to end the show, for once and for all, we have a great little ditty, a song of the 1917 strike by Christina Mamochi. Take it away, Christina.
Radio Stingray Podcast was brought to you by McNally Jones Staff Lawyers, assisting MUA members and their families for 40 years. Phone 9233 4744 or visit mcnally.com.au and get McNally's on your side.